Faith, family, wrestling. This is Wrestling for the Faith. Wrestling for the Faith. And now, here's your host, Casey Cage. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wrestling for the Faith. I'm your host, Casey Cage. Today, we are joined by the one and only Jeremiah Plunkett, straight from Tater Peeler, Tennessee. <laughs> How hey, you doing, man? man? I'm doing good. It's I'm so it's so weird not to see you blonde. <laughs> it's it, yeah, it has been a while. That's man, that's how long it's been since we've uh, since we've connected. It has, yeah. We, we we used to always run into each other on shows, and then we stopped. <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah, I, once I kind of took off from the Nashville scene, I've not. Uh, I've not, uh, well, you know, me and Rivers went back up and did some stuff for Bird a few times, but uh, we've not uh, done too much up that way uh, since the blonde days. So, yeah, you know, I, we lost that uh, that loser shaves their head match to uh, Chip Hazard and Johnny Rock. Uh, I don't even remember when that was, early 2012 maybe. And uh, shaved the heads, and then uh, I, we were sick of the maintenance doing yeah. the blonde ever i mean we were having to bleach like at least me i was having to bleach it like every week and i was getting tired of it and my wife was definitely getting tired of it yeah when i was uh when i was tagging with quentin charisma um we would bleach our hair and and we didn't know how to do it either i, I feel like that's the reason a lot of mine's gone is we just put it on and when it started burning we'd wash it off that seemed like <laughs> a good amount of time so uh i gotta ask how much of an influence uh, personally has Dutch Mantel had on your career, <laughs> man. I, I love Dutch. Um, so there was a period of time when I don't know how me and Dutch, me and Dutch, I think literally just linked up because I also lived in Murfreesboro and it would be less for him to drive. Um, so for a while, uh, Dutch had a little training school in Lebanon, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, he wanted some people to take some bumps for him because Dutch wasn't going to take any bumps. Right. Um, so I rode around with Dutch for a little bit. I, I would say it was probably a uh, six-month stretch or whatever where I was riding around a, a fair little bit with Dutch. I know the uh, the, the joke was always uh, Daddy Dutch he, <laughs> because I was uh, I was patterning a lot, a lot out of him at the time. So, yeah. Yeah, well, the reason that I ask – and I might be off on this, but Tater Peeler, Tennessee just sounds like a Dutch. <laughs> um, no, actually, it was a uh, – do you remember Doogie Vance who did commentary for Saw? He also uh, is on the radio out here. Yeah, I believe um, so. So when I was working for Showtime All-Star Wrestling, um, Paul Adams, rest in peace, mm-hmm. uh, put a – a gimmick on me where I was like this creepy backwoods redneck. Right. And uh, I always wanted to be from uh, where my grandparents lived. Um, they had a farm in a place called Las Casas, Tennessee, little unincorporated town. Um, and it's where I spent like every weekend till I was probably 18. Right. Um, on my grandparents' property. And I always wanted to do that because it's a legit country town. I wanted to put it on the map. Um, and Paul would never let it happen. And so he was always trying to find a place. And one day Doogie said, Tater Peeler, Tennessee. And I hated it. <laughs> I, I absolutely hated it. I'm like, this is dumb. Is it even a real place? I know about Tater Peeler Road. Um, and that's what it, he made it up from Tater Peeler Road. But strangely enough, there was a little unincorporated town until like, oh God, 1890s or 1920s around 
before it just became a dead city, but it was a little tiny town up near Lebanon called Tater Peeler, Tennessee. Oh, wow. And I, again, I hated it. But then the next day after that episode aired, my uncle, who would always watch my stuff after the fact, came up to me and goes, where's Tater Peeler, Tennessee? And I'm like, oh, it's this thing I hate. And then I'd go to other shows and fans would come up. So people actually did watch the program and say, Hey, where's Tater Peeler? And I'm like, I've got to keep this. It's the, especially at the time. It's the only thing about me that's over. <laughs> you know, so I might as well keep it. Right. So it's been Tater Peeler, Tennessee ever since. Okay. Well, I, I was a little off. I, it really sounded like a Dutchism because uh, I don't remember if, you know, I've told you this or you've heard any of my story, but uh, you know, I went to one of the university of Dutch seminars uh-huh. And it was Dutch who told me to bleach my hair blonde. And, uh, you know, then, um, then he, he told me, you know, think outside the box, don't be from Cleveland, Tennessee, find something, uh, find something different, you know? So I, I started doing Emerald city, you know, uh, but, but no tater pillar. I, I was, I was almost a hundred percent positive. That was a Dutchism. <laughs> well, so it, it isn't, and it isn't. So uh, obviously Dutch is from Oil Trough, Texas, right? which is another town that does not exist. There's <laughs> Oil Trough, Arkansas, right. but there's no Oil, Oil Trough, uh, Texas. Um, and normally I'd apologize to Dutch for blasting that out, but he put it in his book, so I'm sure it's fair game. Uh, so he and he would always like make up like crazy backstories for Oil Trough, Texas. So as a tribute to Dutch, when I'm telling some fan some made-up story uh, about where Tater Peeler, Tennessee is, uh, I'll, I'll tell them that settlers were coming from the Northeast because they're tired of the snow. <laughs> they're heading to Texas, and along the way, some guys didn't want to go anymore. And they found a Tater Peeler, Tennessee. And the, the payoff to the story, where it's a tribute to Dutch, is that the remaining settlers who weren't lazy and went on found it all dropped out. Well, yeah, you know, I'd never thought anything about uh, doing a, a different hometown. You know, I thought, yeah. I always thought, well, you know, sometimes I would do uh, Nashville. You know, I was from Nashville. Uh, I never liked Chattanooga. So I would never be from Chattanooga unless people just did it. But, but sometimes I was Nashville, uh, but I was kind of like you. I was like, I want to put my hometown on the map, you know, so yeah. I'm going to do Cleveland. Uh, but when Dutch set me down and was telling me, hey, uh, you know, don't be from Cleveland. Do something different, something that makes you stand out. And uh, that's what he – that was his um, example. He said, I'm from Old Trough, Texas. And I said, yeah, I, I, it didn't click with me. And, uh, and he said, show it to me on a map. I was like, Oh, 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 okay. <laughs> oh yeah. I forgot. We're playing characters here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. And it's, it's way easy to forget that. I always did. Uh, you said you did Nashville. Um, I always used to do mainly just cause my wrestling style and like who influenced me was Memphis. Yeah. So like I'll, I'll do Memphis forever. And then people will be like, Oh man, like what street are you from in Memphis? Cause Memphis people are real proud about being from Memphis. I know I'm marrying one <laughs> and I'd be like, uh, I can't say, can't say Beale street. <laughs> you know, nobody lives on Beale street. I, I don't know. You know? So, so Memphis, you know, I've been now again, my fiance is from Memphis, but, uh, like I couldn't think up anything then. So I was like, uh, you know, around downtown, I'm, yeah, <laughs> just run away. 
Oh yeah. So how did you get, how did you break in, in the business and when was that? Um, so I, I began training and had my first match in, in 2005. Uh, prior to that, probably three or four years, um, I was a, it's not dreaded now, but I, I remember when I broke in, you couldn't say anything about this backyard wrestler. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, my dad, my grandfather and me and some friends built a 14 by 14 wood ring after going to a couple Burt shows and during intermission, sneaking under the ring and trying to see the layout of everything. <laughs> um, my, my dad's a carpenter by trade. So the, the ring was better than most. Like if I would have snuck under there, I'd be like, ah, oh, there's some wood and that would have been it. Cause I'm not handy at all, but it, it was pretty solid. I I've bumped in worse rings wrestling <laughs> in oh, some sure. small, terrible towns. Um, well, we did that for a while and, uh, we put our videos up on YouTube and stuff like that. Actually, there's some still up there, which is hilarious. I think they're super funny. Um, but then, so I gra- graduated high school. I wanted to play football in college. Um, but I, I knew I was undersized. Like I was bulking up my senior year. Uh, but like bulking up at the time, uh, was a little hard for me. And I got up to like 245 was as big as I could get after my senior year. And I played offensive line. Oh yeah. Uh, so I didn't get very many offers. Um, I got two. One was Cumberland University, and one was Liberty University, uh, both in Tennessee, both private colleges, both only partial scholarships. So it'd still be ten thousand dollars a year. Mm. Um, and my mom, you know, my parents obviously said no. <laughs> yeah. So I, I had a academic scholarship. Um, then I just went to MTSU, but I was like, well, I can't play football. Football's done. Uh, what can I do? And I wouldn't want to be one of these guys playing like semi-pro football or there's no, you know what I mean? Just if I don't want to do the work for all that, you know what I mean? I'm right. I'm a little lazy as it goes to, uh, <laughs> but I was like, but I always love pro wrestling. Um, and I had just figured out that it was a thing that people my size could do mm. from going to a show at the fairgrounds and build and walking by. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's smaller than me. Yeah. <laughs> You know, because until then, I just watched it on TV. Um, and e- even when I went to some of the shows, like, guys were still bigger than me. Yeah. But then Bill Dundee, who was, I'd watched growing up my entire life, you know, it's not the biggest man in the world. And I'm like, oh, my God, I can potentially do this. Uh, so I started going to independent shows and would ask everybody on their way to the ring, legitimately, like, as they're making, slapping hands or getting heat, if they trained guys and I, I, that was, I don't, I didn't know, you know what I mean? And, and I don't even have the excuse that we didn't have the internet. Like I just didn't know. I didn't right. know that, that was a thing. And finally a, a couple guys said, yeah. Um, and it was me and Mike Woods uh, buzzed up and outlaw Lee Condry. They wrestled for Mike Porter's NWA main event. Wow. How uh, do you ever talk to those guys anymore? Um, Mikey and buzz. I talked to a lot. I buzz, especially buzz. I talk to just about every day. I've, I've not seen or heard anything about those guys in forever. Yeah. Um, like I said, buzzy, I talked to a lot. Mikey, I talked to relatively decently amount. And then, uh, Lee, Lee just kind of drops off the face of the earth. I'm apparently going to see him in a couple of weeks at a, they're doing a reunion in uh, Columbia, Tennessee, which would be really exciting because I haven't seen him in a long time, but no, yeah, I talked to him a lot. So, and you guys, you guys work for Porter, do you not? Uh, for yeah. main event, yeah, yeah, down at Freddie's Auction House in Columbia, Tennessee. Oh yeah, yeah, that was that was some that was some good crowds in there. Actually, I mean, a lot of times, yeah. a lot of times that place was packed. 
Yeah. I remember in, uh, let's see, when did you start there? Oh, five. Uh, let's see. I, I started, I tried, I did, I wasn't working. I only worked a handful of days for Porter, um, in Columbia at those times. Um, cause you know, Mike would, you know, rest in peace to Mike too, but he would get mad at people and kick them off. So I'm sure like once I got in Buzzy or Mikey had gotten mad and, you know, but <laughs> I, I worked, there was another show in on the other side of Columbia. So I worked over there. I was fine, but, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so Oh was... five was when I broke in. Okay. Yeah. I remember, uh, my first time going, uh, to work for Mike and, uh, at the time, Bert was running. He was doing TV at the stadium in on Wednesday nights. Okay. And then we was doing like a spot show, you know, the rest of the week up until Saturday. And then like Nashville, they'd usually bring it back uh, to Nashville. Or Saturday, they'd usually bring it back to Nashville. Um, but there was a week where there was a couple of days off and Bert sent us over to his like I rode with Cassidy Riley. Uh, but he, he sent, you know, me and Cassidy and, uh, I think Chase and Andy over there. And, uh, after the match, I worked cast that night. And, and after the match, uh, Porter brings the envelopes around and I'm looking and I went, Hmm, you know, if this was anywhere around home, I would be fine with this. Uh, but this is not what Bert told me I'd be getting. So I called Bert and I said, Hey, uh, I don't want to cause any problems, but it's not in everything's not here. He said, "Give me just a minute." Here in a minute, Porter walked back over and said, "Here." <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, but no, I I always enjoyed over there. Um, all of those, the the Columbia Springfield. All those towns around there were were a lot of fun because they usually drew well. Yeah. I remember working my first mule day in Columbia, which I uh, – do you know Francisco Chiazza? I'm not sure that I've ever actually met him. Okay. He, <laughs> uh, he loves when I talk about mule day just because, like, you know, he's from New York and now lives in Florida. So something as country as a town having mule day, yeah. <laughs> it just blows his mind. Um, he's always like, you got to get me booked on donkey day. I'm like, it's mule day. Frankie. <laughs> um, but yeah, I remember seeing my first mule day crowd uh, my first year in. And, you know, cause I, I, where, where I broke in was Smyrna, Tennessee and they ran a lot of hardcore stuff. Yeah. Uh, my, my first, we'll get in my first match at some point. Holy God. It was <laughs> I bled my first match. It was um, actually, I listened to your uh, the episode where you're being interviewed, and uh, I think we had a kind of a similar first match. Oh, really? <laughs> but um, so, I forgot, oh, so it, it was real hardcore and stuff. Was they, they were shooting on people randomly for some reason and stuff like that. And Buzzy goes, "Hey, man, I'm gonna come with me to Columbia this Saturday." I'm like, "Okay." And it was, was working across town. Uh, I can only remember what it was called. Shane Morton was booking it, but then Shane left and hot rod bigs. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you, you know, Rod, he's a heck of a guy. Yeah. He, uh, so he took over and when he took over, I'd only worked like two or three weeks for Shane and hot rod didn't, didn't tell me this till God years later. I, I was putting him over for giving me a shot. But so like, uh, the promoter was like, just want to cut money. 
And he's like, well, this kid's only been here a couple weeks. He's not over, you know, whatever. So cut him. And Rod's like, hey, how about – he's like, we don't pay him much. How about we just use him a lot? Because Rod saw something in me. So it'd be like I'd wrestle one match as me and then another match under a mask. Because they had like – of course, it's a southern small southern locker room. So they had like masks and outfits just sitting here in case somebody no-showed. No and then like I'd work the main event as – you know, in another mask that was probably uncomfortable and boots that didn't fit me. And, but I didn't get like five bucks. You know what I mean? But like yeah. Rod was purposely every match I did though, where I was doing those stupid mask gimmicks or whatever, I'd tag with hot Rod, or I would work with, you know, Shane Morton if he came back or work with guys like uh Lone Star. I don't know if you remember Lone Star, but like guys who could teach me. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so I give a lot to Rod because of that. So I was working across town from where you guys were, but still like I was getting all that experience from guys like that. Yeah. And that's, that's what needs to happen. I mean, guys have to have that. I've always told guys, if you can, you know, a lot of guys, you know, you see the guys in the locker room and if somebody is more experienced or maybe somebody who has a name, you know, there's some guys in the locker room who's like, yeah, I want to work with that guy. And then there's some guys who are like, uh, no, no, just let somebody else do that. And I'm like, listen, you want to work with people who's been somewhere. You want to work with people who's better than you, because if you never work with people who are better than you, you're never going to grow at all. And so, but yeah, you've got to have those guys that are better than you to teach you and, and bring you along. Yeah. That's the way the business is supposed to work. You know, I've heard people who are, nervous about an upcoming match, you know, with a, a named talent. And they're like, I don't know, man, I'm just like, I don't feel like I'm on their level. I'm like, well, how do you think you get to that level? Exactly. It doesn't just happen. Like you can be a super athlete and be really good in training, but like that doesn't mean you get it. Right. You know what I mean? And like, they, they'll lead you through how to put in everything. You're like nobody comes, just comes out of training. They're like, here I am. I know everything, <laughs> you know, no matter how much some of them think they do, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. but but that, so that's how it's supposed to be. And like, sometimes it's not always, you know, this, but it's not always sit here and like, here, I'll tell you advice. Sometimes it's, Hey, you screwed up, thump you in the head. Here's what you did wrong. Oh, I'll never do that again. Exactly. That was a lot of Lone Star. Uh, Lone Star. Uh, he had me fire up on him and he'd do the, you know, he was six, six, 400. And mm -hmm. he'd like do the big wobble cell. And then he'd come back when he wanted you to punch him again. And I didn't know that. So he goes, all right, kid, come back on me. And I just start hitting them with like rapid fire punches. <laughs> <laughs> and he, it's a, it was supposed to be a thumb to the eye, but he just palmed me on top of the head oh. and drops me. And he's like, slow down. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay. And that, that's how you learn, man. And I don't know. I, I, I miss it. I look back on it finally because the yeah. business has changed. And I'm not one of these old guys yelling out of crap, the clouds or anything, but it's just different. Well, I, I'm the exact same way. Uh, guys like me and you and, rivers and you know there's a few others uh we're kind of those guys that 70s or 80s man i think we could have we could have had a lot of fun i think i may have died <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just saying how how logos guys partied and like i'm past my partying years now yeah but i remember just how how hard the nashville guys partied and that was like on a weekend right and these, you know, these eighties guys partying like that every night of the week. I, I don't know if I would have made it. 
Well, no. I mean, you, I, we probably would have had fun. Yes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I'm talking. I'm talking about in the ring. I'm talking. Yeah. No. About, absolutely. I, I'm talking about. I believe. You know. I believe we could have. Uh, we could have at least been a good. Uh, you know, Dennis Stamp or something, brother. Yeah, <laughs> brother. I, I'm still like pin me, pay me. You know what I mean? <laughs> that, that's how I am too. There, there was a time where you know I wanted to be. I wanted to be over and I wanted to make it, I wanted everything to make a hundred percent sense and everything. And now I'm just like, Hey, I'm, I'm here. My passion, uh, the last several years is to teach and help other guys. Uh, because at the moment I'm not trying to do this for a living and I don't know that I'll ever get back to that desire, but, uh, but no, I, I, I just want to help guys along and so I don't care if I'm over, I don't care if I'm under, I'm just, just ready to go out there and teach and pass down some knowledge that, uh, you know, I was blessed with guys handing down to me. Yeah. What, what's it called? Um, if, if you're around long enough, I think you finally get in that mindset unless you, I feel like unless you've reached something and then fell from it, but if you've like just been plugging away for so long, you kind of get that. I call it the curse of the good hand mindset yeah. where you're just like, you're, you're like, whatever happens here. Like I, I know I can take care of myself in the ring. Uh, I know if this guy's not good, I can try to pull something out of him. I know I can protect myself so I don't get hurt. If this guy's that bad Yeah, and, and I'll get paid and be fine. Uh, am I putting this guy over? I don't care. Am I going over? I don't care. I just right. want to have this match and, you know, be done and hang out with my buddies. And I always call that the curse of the good hand, because like, if you, if you look at guys and never met the guy, you may have um, like Brad Armstrong. Great. Yeah. So like super good hand, right. Super talented, but I don't think ever, and this is just through podcasts and stuff. I listen to talking about him. I don't think ever cared about trying to be that top guy and he never tried to politic about being that top guy never complained about putting somebody over he just went out there had his good match and got his pay it's like all right guys see you see you in the next town yeah yeah and uh, like that's a mindset that some people have and some people don't um and i think if you're doing it long enough and you're, you're confident in yourself and you're like uh you know, I, if you can make yourself a utility player, you kind of get that mindset because I can lose and still, still be over. It's fine. I know how to do that. You know well, what I mean? Yeah. And, and like you was talking about, once you get to that certain point, you realize that that's not really what it's all about. Uh, mm -hmm. you, you get to a place where you learn to get yourself over whether you're losing every match or not. You know, yeah. and so if you can, if you can build that character and you can, you can be that worker, uh, that connects with the people, they don't care what you're doing. Uh, you're still, uh, probably going to sell more gimmicks than, than the guy who you just put over. Yeah, man. And it's just, I don't, I don't know, but you also, you have to have the killer instinct, right. To, to make it be a top guy. Like you very rarely see the guys who are just like, I'm cool with whatever. Yeah, definitely. Uh, get there. You know, there's few exceptions. Like I, I feel like Daniel Bryan's that guy, right? He's the very, you know, he just worked really hard and it just happened to get there. I don't, I can't picture him from everything I know about him politicking ever. Mm -hmm. So I do say sometimes it happens, but other times like you got to kind of protect your spot, right? Well, you do. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're wanting that, if, if you're wanting that and it's, uh, 
I don't know. I think once you said something earlier that, that was really, I'm getting really deep with this and I'm sorry. <laughs> I've been thinking <laughs> a lot about like, as I've gotten older, I've been thinking a lot about like wrestling and looking at the career side of it and stuff like that. Uh, you know, and you said like, you don't know if you'll ever pursue making this for, as a living. Right. Um, I think once you get in the spot in your mind where you're not trying, you're not in the constant fight, with having to make it your living. Right. So you got a good job and you will work around it. So you can still make all the shows you need to make, but it's a good enough job that if you had to stop wrestling tomorrow and you don't hate it, you know, if it's a job you hate, that's one thing, but it's a job you don't hate. Yeah. You know, if you had to give up wrestling tomorrow for a reason other than them taking it away from you that you'd be like, all right, that sucks. But you know, I'm set and I'm, I'm content. I did some things that I like. Like once you get content, I think you also kind of lose that you don't lose that fighting, that fighting spirit, but you, you lose the want to be shady about it and stuff like that and do the politics. Yeah. Now that you mentioned that, I totally understand exactly what you're saying. And I, I would honestly say that once there's a lot of guys who have probably actually didn't get their break until they got to that place, because yeah. maybe, maybe when they were uh, striving to make it so much, they were, they were going overboard. And 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 maybe not doing something that connected or maybe their work was sloppy or or whatever. And when you kind of get to that point where you're like, you know, eh, whatever, whatever, I'm just I'm just having fun and want to want to help guys out and and, and make shots. Uh, you know, you never know. But but I did. I did uh, understand exactly what you're saying right there. It makes well, a lot of sense. And it's also the energy you put out too, right, man? How many times I, I know me, I can only speak for me. I just assume other people feel like I do, but like, you know, do you get in, in really, you know, really good shape and you feel like your work's on point and everything. And then, you know, and maybe you have a tryout or something. This is my personal experience. This is what I'm reaching from. Yeah. Um, and then like, you don't get, you don't get anything from the tryout, but then you see some guys who, you know, flunked the tryout, but still got on the show somehow because they knew somebody and you're mad and you're mad about that for months. Right. Cause it's, it's not just a, you don't know how to let go of one thing one day and then you're just bitter. And no matter how you don't try to reflect that, that reflects out. And I, I, I don't know. I've been a big, become a big thing on like positive energy and the secret and stuff like that lately too. So. Well, that's, you know, there's a lot of truth to that because you know, I, I can actually, I can think back at, at a few different instances. One, uh, me and Rivers doing a, a practice match. We were up doing some extra spots and uh, Regal was out ringside watching. We got done and, uh, you know, he told us some stuff to work on, told us, hey, do this and do this a little different and maybe put this here and whatnot. But he, he gave us one of the best compliments that ever came, uh, you know, in my career, he said, uh, you guys style really reminded me of Tully and Arn. And I was like, wow, that that's awesome. You know? Uh, but at the time they wasn't hiring any tag teams. Everything was all thrown together guys and whatnot. And then after I stopped pursuing it, I remember I, I was down at Johnny Rock's house one day and he said, Hey, have you seen these guys, uh, the revival? And I said, no, I don't think so. And it was when they were in it in NXT. And, uh, he said, dude, these guys remind me of you and river so much. And he had me sit down and watch one of their matches. And I was like, man, 
just a couple of years ago, (laughs) you know, just that much of a difference. So, you know, that kind of stuff can be disappointing. It can also be motivating though. Yeah. Oh, I mean, absolutely. You know, they say, so, so many people, you get two different things in wrestling, right? You either get, Oh, it's all right place, right time. Or you get, no, it's hard work and you get there. And it's so much both, but like it's it's hard work over time so that you finally hit that right place, right time. But, and I don't know, like you were in the wrong place when they weren't hiring tag teams. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they create a tag team who work, you know, work y'all the style. Yeah. And that is something that you can either, you know, adapt and work from, or you can just get so mad at the world and be bitter about it. I spent many years bitter, man. Uh, So I want to, I want to take a, a kind of a side course here. I've been listening lately to the Territorial Wrestling Review, which you are co-host of with Quentin Charisma. Dude, you know, we were talking about this earlier today. I enjoy these old stories. I enjoy enjoy the match reviews and just uh, talking like uh, the one I listened to today, you guys were talking about the Dusty and and, uh, Superstar, and I'm definitely going to have to pull that one up and watch it because I, I've watched the bull rope match, uh, but the one you guys watched, I don't think I've seen that. But, man, it sounded exciting. I know you were disappointed about the finish, but Quentin was, like, totally putting it over. So I'm definitely <laughs> going to sit down and watch it sometime. But, uh, but no, so how did you get started in podcasting? <laughs> oh, well, actually, actually, before that, uh, take me to where you and Quentin – uh, hooked up and then now to your relationship in the podcasting world. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, it was, it was Columbia, Tennessee, uh, hot rod bigs had needed to turn me heel, even though I was nowhere near ready to be a heel. You know what I mean? Like to lead a match heel. Mm-hmm. Um, but he needed to turn me heel and Quentin had come back. Quentin had, uh, had a car wreck um years ago and was out of wrestling for about a year i think just because like Quint- quentin's a large man but he's also really banged up so he came back as a manager mm-hmm. um, and quentin had always done like a uh, kind of more a flamboyant gimmick um he, he went out to straight uh almost I, I wouldn't say drag but makeup at one point but he pulled that you know he said he did that for like six months and he's like nah that's too much yeah. so, so he just pulled it back to like being real flamboyant and silly um, so when he managed, he would wear, it, it, he had seasonal wears when it was, uh, when it was the summer, he had a big old Hawaiian shirt on shorts and flip-flops and he'd beat you to death with the flip-flop on the outside. <laughs> um, when it was winter, he had a velour jumpsuit, um, with, uh, I'm going to say jewel double cues on it, but we just bought a whole bunch of jewels from Hobby Lobby and hot glued those bad boys on it. Yeah. He had a little cabby hat. He had a, uh, an umbrella that he just murdered guys. <laughs> he swore he didn't, but man, he just killed guys. with. <laughs> um, but no, so he, they, they're like, all right, we're going to turn you and he's going to be your manager. And I'd, I'd met him one time before uh, on one of those early shows in Smyrna when he was, he was starting to try to come back to wrestle. And I think that night he was like, ah, not yet. And, uh, we actually got off on a bad foot because uh, I was buddies with his tag team partner, Mike Jablonski, and Mike hid my bag. It told me Quentin hid my bag 
And Quentin didn't know me from Adam. I go, hey, man, what'd you do with my bag? And Quentin just chewed me out in the middle of the locker room. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so we ended up managing, he ended up managing me, and I learned a lot from him because he was really, really smart. Um, he's, a, he's an old tape trader from back in the day. Uh, loves loves his Memphis wrestling. Loves all wrestling, but like really big on Memphis wrestling. Um, is he was a huge Jeff Jarrett fan growing up. I know that because I always rip him about. He had this this picture in his collection that was him like meeting Jeff Jarrett outside, and they both have sweet mullets. It was great. <laughs> uh, but uh, I always say he's got a crush on Jeff Jarrett. I'm trying to find. They had this poster. Uh, we so uh, I'll get to the poster in a minute. Dang it. Um, I'm everywhere. Sorry. But yeah, so he is my manager. And then um, he, he's like, I think I'm ready to work. Let's do a six-man tag, me, you, and Mike. We did a six-man. And of course, ribbed him right off the bat, like while we're all training and looking tough, as soon as the baby faces get in, we get out of the ring and get on the aprons. So he has to start the match. <laughs> he hasn't wrestled in a year and a half or whatever. <laughs> um, but no, we just became buddies then. And he used to be, so he wanted to start tagging. And I was totally cool with the idea. And he used to be in a tag team called Hanging Tough. Like mm-hmm. little new kids on the block song. And I remember that because when I would go to independence, when I was real young, um, I, I just remembered them for some reason. And they're on local TV, like, like super public access TV. Yeah. Um, so I remember watching him like, let's be hanging tough. And he's like, no, nah, that's not our deal. I'm like, no, nah, it's fine. Whatever. So I convinced him and we were hanging tough, the Kings of the strut. And we just, we ripped off Larry Sweeney for a Southern crowd is what we really did. <laughs> You know, we bleached our hair. We just tried to be old throwback tag team and then, like, add some, you know, bright colors. We wore, like, pinks and turquoises and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we did that for – we introduced a third member uh, when Tony Falk wanted to push me singles so we could still keep hanging tough going and kind of do, like, a free birds rule with that. But, yeah, we did that for about three years. Um Quentin wrestled about a year or two more after that. And then his like his knees and his tailbone and stuff just got so bad, which I mean, he was in his later years, he was never under 300. Mm-hmm. And like, th- this is a guy who one of his favorite spots was, and I don't do leg drops anymore, but we used to do revolving door leg drops where he'd drop one and hop up and I drop one. We just go in a circle and keep doing them. Yeah. He'd do, he'd body slam a guy on the floor and do a leg drop. And I'm like, that can't be good for your back. And years later, it's not. That gets rough after a while. Yeah, but he introduced me to a lot of wrestling because he still had his whole collection from when he's a tape trader. Yeah. So we'd get a loop book, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And Thursday, I'd go home. But Friday, after the the show, I'd stay at his house and we'd watch wrestling until we passed out. Then we'd get (laughs) up in the morning. And as long as it wasn't baseball season, because he's a big baseball fan, we'd watch wrestling until we left for the show. Yeah. Um, so he turned me on to all sorts of stuff and we'd watch all these tag stuff. And like, he, you know, he, he, I remember him saying, he's like, I, I've never been in a tag team where I actually tried to get double teams together. We just always shoot them off and double back elbow. And we're watching old, like a heavenly body spots and yeah. be like, Oh, we can do this and change it here. And, you know, we're actually trying, trying to do the thing, I guess. Uh, we stay really, really busy three to four times a week, every week. Um, That's good. Yeah, and he, I don't know, he's just a big-time mentor for me, man. Uh, he started in 92, so he had been wrestling like 12 years when he and I first met. Right. So I just I just grasped everything off of him, and he'd teach me history, and he got me into wrestling history, and yeah. Yeah, that's 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 good stuff. That uh, Having a mentor like that is, is a definite blessing. Uh, you know, somebody that you could just soak up, you know. Yeah. 
We're about to get back into the second half of my conversation with Jeremiah Plunkett. But before we do, I want to take a little time to share a quick word with you. In this world that we live in, there's so many people today who feel hopeless. So many people have been told by everyone around them, maybe even by their own family, and for sure by the enemy, that they are useless, hopeless, worthless, that they've messed up too much, that God's done with them, that he can never use them, and that they may as well just crawl off in a hole and die. But I want to share a simple fact with you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loved you so much that he came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned in word, thought, or deed. He went to the cross as our perfect sacrifice. He took all of the punishment and the wrath of God and paid the sin debt that we owed. He died, was buried, and then resurrected three days later. He ascended to heaven, and he will soon return again. That's the gospel. It's simple. And Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I know a lot of churches and religious institutions, they try to make it hard. But the gospel is simple. You just anchor your faith in who Jesus is and what he has done for you. And I promise you, at that very moment, you will become a new creation. The Holy Spirit will come to live inside you. You will begin feeling him, cleaning you up from the inside out. The things that you used to desire, you no longer desire strongholds and sins that used to have a grip on you. One day you wake up and realize that those things are no longer hanging on to you. Listen, it's not about you trying to earn brownie points and climb a ladder and you in your own human effort being good enough to please God. We could never do it. That's why Jesus came and did it for us. Now all you have to do is believe. Trust me, it's the best decision that you'll ever make. So now, how, how did you guys uh, come into the podcasting world? So he had been doing, he, if, you, if you look at us on, on Spotify or on Anchor, it's a little janky because of how he had it set up. Um, but So it's, it's under the, the No Budget Podcast Center. Uh, on uh, on Anchor and Spotify, um, and he used to do a couple of different shows. Uh, and it's just kind of something because he is from the injuries and stuff like that, and just wear and tear over time. Um, he's disabled; he doesn't get out of the house a lot. So he started doing um, this, this kind of podcasting, and it's mostly about wrestling. But he has some that are just about ramblings. And he was doing one with a a guy named Mark Gordy, and uh, they would just talk wrestling, but they didn't have it's called calling it in the ring. So yeah. they had no, no format. So it could be, it, it's supposed to be a wrestling centric podcast and it usually was. Um, but then like one episode, they talked about fair foods, <laughs> you know what I mean? And, which is hilarious, but you know, so it's like, Oh, I thought this was a wrestling podcast. Um, so yeah, 
I don't know what happened with, with him and Mark, like not like a fight or anything, but something that just happened with the schedule to quit line up. And he'd done like his other podcast was he'd interview guys. He'd talk about wrestling himself or interview guys. And mm-hmm. he'd interviewed me a couple of times or whatever, which ended up just me being me and him joking. Cause that's <laughs> all we do when we talk, you've heard, you know? Yeah. So then he's like, Hey, uh, you know, will you do the, this deal? And I did a couple episodes of calling it in the ring, I guess. Technically, I, I don't know how they're actually labeled on the thing. Um, and then he's like, would you like to do, do a podcast? I'm like, yeah, but if we do, I want to do a format. Right. Cause like some nights I'm going to need more help coming up with stuff to talk about than yeah. others. Um, and he goes, okay, well, how about like we, one of us, it had to be him. He, he talked about let's review, you know, old wrestling. I'm like, cool. I'm good with that. And he goes, what we can do is find a whole season. This is where we started. We can find a whole season and watch that, that season in order. Yeah. And we'll rank each matches. Um, so he picked Memphis 1987. And while it may have been good at the live events and who was in there, the TVs were not good. <laughs> uh, and we, we, we muscled through the entire year. Um, and yeah, that was done. Um, and it was, it was put to bed, thankfully. Um, and we were talking about, because it got so bad, especially toward the end that we were like, Hey man, like we're talking offline. We're like, Let's uh, we got to come up with a different gimmick, <laughs> like because yeah. I, I I can't do another another bad year of TV. And he goes, well, what if we do just do singles mat single matches? So that's what we started out doing. We would pick matches and just review that match, and then we talk about whatever outside of that match. But like that was our main point of the podcast. And at first we were looking them up, and now we're doing them. Um, <laughs> without watching them first, it used to be we'd watch them and then both break them down. Yeah. Um, and one night Quentin didn't have time to watch it. And he's like, what are we going to do? I'm like, I can share my screen on zoom and we'll watch it together. And his reactions are so good. I was like, we have to do this every time. Yeah. Because like your first time reactions are so good that I want to catch, I want to capture that. And, yeah. uh, and yeah, that's kind of where it, where it went from there. And, you know, I mean, we, we came from when we were first, I say came from, not like we moved far, but when we were first recording, he had his tablet with the anchor app and then I'd call his phone and he'd put me on speakerphone and just kind of put them next to each other. <laughs> so I'm sorry if anyone goes back and listens to those old episodes. Um, but now we use zoom and I I'm teaching myself audacity to edit it. And, you know, uh, so we're, we're trying to improve it, but we have a lot of fun doing it. Um, and it gives, gives me a chance to talk to Quentin every week because I mean, you know how it is in wrestling, man, like kind of fall out of contact with people sometimes. And then you, well, heck man, you, yeah, uh, Lord, it's been what, uh, eight or 10 years since we've seen each other. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've talked on social media here and there, but like seeing each other, geez. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I said. I said, didn't recognize you with that blonde hair. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so it gives me a chance to to talk to him every week. You know what I mean? And it, if you listen to it and you, you know, you said it, it's, it's a normal conversation with a wrestling match thrown in the middle because we are bad about getting out off on tangents and we're, we're bad about just joking about stuff. Yeah. Uh, and he, we're real bad with technology too. Um, I'm getting good at editing though. So I cover them up. Uh, I cover them up with record scratches. That's my favorite thing in the world to do. Um, on this on this last episode, we had four takes to get started, 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, did you listen to the last Yeah. One? Yeah. The, the intro is every take and just red, record scratch, record scratch. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I, I, I might have more fun editing it because when it go when it goes wrong, then I did <laughs> recording the episode. Yeah, that was, that was good stuff. I know uh, last week I was scrolling down through there looking, and uh, one that I ran across that I really enjoyed was the uh, Tracy Smothers tribute. From- Man, I, I about – I about had tears in my eyes the whole time listening to that, man. I, you know, I, I had lost contact with Tracy the last couple of years, pretty much like I had everybody, you know, uh, I deleted pretty much all of my social media the last couple of years. And, uh, it's not that I was just trying to be a hermit. Uh, I just, just didn't have a desire for wrestling or anything. And, and so I was just, for me, I was like, well, what's the use in having social media if I'm not trying to market myself, you know? So, uh, but I do miss so much of the stuff that I used to have, like old pictures and stuff on the old Facebook, uh, instead of de- deactivating, I was like a dummy and just deleted everything. Same thing with the Twitter and, uh, building a Twitter account is, is like, whoa, uh, you know, from scratch, but, uh, you know, got back on Twitter, you know, last month or whatever and started reconnecting with with uh, some guys you and nikita and uh so that's been good but but i'd lost touch with tracy and then you know i'd heard you know i saw people putting stuff on there uh once i got back on facebook saw people saying something about you know pray for tracy and i'm like uh-oh what's going on so i text chase and i'm like what's going on and uh you know he told me about the cancer and whatnot and uh Man, Tracy was, he was a great one. And uh, I know he was one that had a great influence on your career too. And I'll just be honest. I don't think that anybody who wants to learn could ever sit in a locker room with Tracy Smothers and not learn and him have an influence on their career. No, I think you're absolutely right. You you talked about texting Chase. I'm the one who told Chase the day it happened. That was, that was hard. Um, yeah, man, dude, Tracy. <laughs> so Tracy had so many quote unquote kids everywhere, man. Like, you know, you're, you're all sons or daughters of smothers. Uh, Tra- Tracy's, I think he's another one of those who like didn't care. You know what I mean? Like he cared, he cared about wrestling. He loved wrestling. He wanted everybody to be good in wrestling. That's why he was, he was. but he, he was one, another one of those like, Kids going over cool. I'm going over cool. Like right. whatever. Like, it, but it wasn't. It wasn't a pay me. I don't want to be here. It was a. I, I've heard him say this. Hey man, I got to get this match out of the way. Then we'll come back and talk. <laughs> Tracy loved everybody. Man, the wrestling was cool part. You know what I mean? We all love Tracy. Yes. And he loved to wrestle, but like, he's like, hey, let me get this ten minutes out of the way, and then I'll come back and well, ten minutes minus his promo, and then we'll, uh, you know, we'll come back and we'll talk. You know, the rest of the night, man. And Smuzz was influential on my career, man. He, uh, he's the first name. Yeah, Tracy was before him. Tracy was the first name I ever met. I was on a show with Brian Lee prior to that, but Brian Lee like made it was a surprise thing from the beginning. So I never met him, and then he left right after. But no, Tracy like came to one of those shows in Columbia, Tennessee, and like you know most of the older guys on the show didn't want to talk to me yeah. so much less the name on the show. You know what I mean? He's not going to want to talk to me. And no, he was the coolest guy on the planet. Guarantee um, it. And, and, and it helped that, uh, that him and Quentin were really good buddies and Quentin was managing me. So, you know, I was like, Hey Quentin, 
uh, to the point he when me and Quentin started tagging, he'd call me little Quentin. <laughs> Dude, he would uh, with some things he did. Like I never went on the road with him, and that's one thing I regret. I wound up on a whole bunch of shows with him that I didn't even know he'd be at. Like some yeah. some idiot promoter didn't advertise him. He's like, you know, and I'd, I'd hear also Jeremiah was a fool, and Tracy'd be walking in, <laughs> and I'm like, you're not on the flyer. He goes, I don't know, <laughs> you know, I'm just here. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, I don't. God, so he uh, – you're talking about Stadium Inn. Uh, Bird had left, but Tony Falk was running it. And this is the things Tracy would do. And he was running a seminar every Sunday that month, Tracy yeah. would. And I was going to go to all of them. I had the money to, like, showed up. Tracy said, hey, little Quentin. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that he calls me that. Um, and now Quentin's going to know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but he goes, if you'll, uh, if you'll do some of the bumps for me because his hip or knee or something was hurting at the time. Uh, he goes, you know, you don't have to pay for it. I'm like, really? Okay, sweet. And dude, it was like, he had me doing, he was still taking all the bumps. He showed me how to do a fireman's carry. I threw a terrible fireman's carry at that time. And like, I went to do it to him and it's crappy. Oh no. Yeah. I know he went to do it with me and I took kind of crappy. He's like, no, like this. And he took like four. (laughs) (laughs) So he's doing just as much bumping as he would have. Yeah. But he just like trying to help out. And then uh, when we did that stuff for NWA Saw and I had that uh, world title match, they wanted somebody because, like, I was I was known there, but, like, I wasn't known, like, really big. So for the TV, not, not for the draw, but for the TV, they wanted to have, like, they wanted that story of bringing in the old veteran to, salt, you know, so, uh, not soften me up, harden me up. Yeah. Thing. Um, so they had Smuzz do it. Uh as a matter of fact, and I love Dr. Tom to death and they had contacted Dr. Tom and Tracy. And I guess, I guess Tom had asked for, for more than Tracy. So they went with Tracy and I love Dr. Tom to death. But I was so close to Tracy. Like I didn't become close to Dr. Tom until well after. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, again, I love Tom, but I didn't know him at the time. I'm like, why didn't you go with Tracy from the start? Yeah. Like that, if we're going with stories, like this is a real one, like this is somebody, and it, it was real to the fact that I found out years later what he made to come down and shoot vignettes and then come down to manage me for the match, bro. He covered gas. Yeah. And that was what he, he offered that to help me. Right. You know what I mean? Like he, you know, he took, cause he told me that one night. Yeah. I don't know what wasn't, uh, wasn't whiskey Mondays, but it, one of the nights you know, I was talking to him about it, and he uh, and he told you know he he's like, hey, so I was going down there for you. I'm like, yeah, well, did it take care of you? And he told me, I was like, dude, no, what are you doing? Yeah, like I love you, but not even for me. Don't do that. Don't do that ever again, Tracy. And then like that that day, I was sitting there with the gimmick table, and Tracy came out, you know, a little late and per normal. But he started sitting out these four by sixes, and I started moving my stuff over. He goes, no, 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 put them on your stuff. Anything they sell, give them that. <laughs> and he's telling everybody that. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'll cut you in. And he goes, no, he just wanted to do stuff to help the boys, man. He, he did. God. Uh, he, uh, I know we, <laughs> we used to uh, book him uh, some on our shows around, you know, our local area here. And, uh, you know, he was always really good about cutting deals. And he was, he was always one of those who just wanted to help the guys. He was such a teacher. And why? He never had a concrete job with WWE or somebody full time doing. I don't. I don't care what it would have took to keep Tracy in the training center 
they should have done it. I mean, yeah. because he was he was all about teaching and all about helping guys uh, up to the day he died. Yeah, dude, to the point about, oh God, I'm trying to remember, six months, eight months before he passed. Uh, the whole past year and a half kind of blurs together when you stay at home so much. Yeah. Um, but it, no, it was obviously pre-COVID. It was uh, that's the last time I saw Tracy um, was that WrestleCade. I uh, went down to WrestleCade and I'd heard Smuzz was sick, but I hadn't seen him. Yeah. I, I'd seen him when he still had his hair and he lost some weight. And I just thought he finally started working out. Like, he, you know, you know, hell, you know, yeah. see, and he's like, Oh, got to get in shape. Got to do yeah. that DDP yoga. <laughs> and then you'd see him again and he'd say the same thing because he still hasn't started yet. And, uh, or he did it like three days and then something yeah. happened. Um, it was always the same conversation. And so I was like, <laughs> Oh man, he started getting in shape. Cool. And then, cause I just saw pictures and then he, I uh, saw him at WrestleCade and he didn't have any hair and he'd lost even more weight. And Oh my God, yeah, it, it got me. But then when we talked then, he, you know, we're trying to ask how he's doing and he doesn't want to talk about him. Yeah. He's like, how are you guys doing? Where are you working? Blah, blah, blah. Like, so it was all this energy, you know what I mean? But he's like, you know, I want to know about you. And that's all he wanted to know about where are you working? Blah, you know, and, and like when and when he was working, he'd be like, "Hey, you want me to get you on this show?" You know, I, I saw a video of him. Um, Chuck Taylor and uh, Trent Beretta did an interview with uh, with Tracy at WrestleCon, the big one they do in New York. Yeah, and they interviewed Smuzz is on the High Spots Network, and in the middle of the interview, um, they're like, "Hey, well, you know, where are you at tonight?" And he's like, "Oh, I got so and so at midnight, and then on the two a.m. You're." He, they go, you on these? And uh, like these, they're signed to AEW at the time. They're just finishing out their stuff. Yeah. And they're like, no, 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 we're not doing any shows. He's like, I'll get you on. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, <laughs> oh, he's the best. He is. He's, the best. That's, that's, he's constantly in that work mode. And how can I help somebody? And, yeah. I, re I remember the first time that I worked with him and I had been around him, uh, you know, quite a bit around Nashville and everything. But the first time I actually worked him, I was babyface. He was heel, and I was like, "Okay, Trace, what do, you, what do we what do we want to do out there?" And uh, he's like, "Hey, hey, baby, listen, hey, you do this, I'll do this, we're all good." <laughs> <You know? laughs> that was it, man. And it starts slow and taper off. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, we we had a match and we didn't do like we did stuff, but we didn't do stuff. You know what I mean? And he goes. Work like that. Work like that every night. You'll work for the rest of your life. You know. <laughs> I, I I remember uh, me and him and Chase rode up to. I can't even remember the promotion, but it was somewhere in Indiana, and uh, I I worked Tracy that night. And dude, this place was packed. I worked Tracy, and we worked a headlock and a rear chin lock the whole match. And, you know, of course, he was the heel and he had uh, he had uh, Jesse out there. And so, I mean, but it was old school. We did like 15, 20 and it was just so solid. And the people were on the edge of their seat the whole time over a headlock and a rear chin lock. And, you know, a couple of little climbing up hope spots. And then, oh, he's got me right back down. And these people didn't even know me, I don't think. 
you know, so it was just all Tracy with that old school mentality. And that's, that's the kind of examples that I like to give when some of these guys today say, Oh, that stuff don't get over anymore. Yeah, no, it can. Any, anything can get over if you do it right. I'm I'm not anti high flying wrestling. I'm not anti any type of wrestling. Um, I anti wrestling. I'll do right. Yeah. Not a death match guy. Not happening here. No. Uh, High flying flippy match. I'll catch you all day long. <laughs> I'm not flipping. That's just not me. Yep. Um, but like, I, I love wrestling. I love all different kinds of wrestling, but like you've seen a Lucha, a Lucha Libre, for example, like I'm not the biggest fan of Lucha, but there's good Lucha. And then there's Lucha that I just don't care about. Like I'll watch, you know, Dr. Wagner, you know, because he's, he's an older season luchador and he gets like the entertainment and stuff and he gets the more American style. Um, but like, you know, guys like him, um, you know, I, I love uh, like New Japan and All Japan and stuff like that. I love that stuff, but I like like 91 through 95 All Japan. Like I'll yeah. sit and binge that. I love World of Sport Wrestling. I, I love all that stuff. But like you can tell, you can watch any match, no matter who's in it, if you know them, if you don't. And just watch it. If you end up turning it off, those guys – it's either not something you're into or those guys just aren't good at what they do. Yeah. You know what I mean? But there's high flyers. We all love There's high, you know, there's luchadors, there's hardcore guys, deathmatch guys. Like there's guys who all, everyone loves because they're good at their job. It, right. It's not the style. And I think that's where a lot of it's missed. You know, there, there's fantastic old school wrestlers. Yes. And they're on TV. It, yeah. it might be a little more sped up than it was in 1975. Cool. I get that, but it's still the same thing. Right. You, you were talking about, you know, the revival or FDR. Now they're, they're old school wrestlers. Like, okay. Yep. They, they do a bit more flips every now and then, but they're still just telling a story with mainly old school moves. It's the same mentality. You know what I mean? I think that, I think that's the key and I, I do think uh, I don't. I honestly don't watch too much uh, anymore at all. I'll flip on every now and then just see what kind of stories are going on. Uh, you know, I'll watch uh, some of my buddies on YouTube or watch some old matches here and there. Or, you know, flip on some old school stuff. But as far as really keeping up with current stuff, I, I don't do that much anymore. But the things that I have watched if I could give a bit of advice to guys, it it would be to slow down and tell a story because a lot of times you can, I mean, yes, these guys, they can do great things. Uh, Sadly, most of their careers are probably going to end early, but they can do awesome things, but there's so much all over the place. And for my taste anyway, I like to be able to comprehend what's going on. I enjoy the the telling of the story. If you want to throw all this stuff in, that's fine. But give me a story instead of just a choreographed dance. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. Um, and, and I guess that's where a, a spot where I'm a, a huge fan of the, the main events in New Japan currently, um, just because like guys like Okada, you know, his series with Omega was amazing. And, you know, there's a lot of people who say that I say a lot of people, I'm sorry. 
people on the internet say that Kenny Omega's lost his step. And I'll be honest, I haven't watched a lot of them since he came to AEW. I'm not an AEW hater. I just, I cut the cord, man. I don't have TBS. You know what I mean? So I, or is it on TNT? It's TNT, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, TNT. Um, I, I don't have TNT, you know, so because I'm all Netflix and everything like that. So I, I don't, I see stuff after the fact. That's just what I do. Um, but if, if he's lost anything, it's he lost Okada, who is one of the best wrestlers in the world to tell a story off of. Right. You know, because that, that guy, I've never seen him have a match that, like, wasn't emotionally investing. And him and Kenny was amazing. It's the best person I've seen him dance with. Yeah. But, like, I think people slept on how good Okada was in that deal. So, like, there's guys like that who can still draw you an edge, man, edge. I don't know if you've seen any of him since his comeback. Edge is all emotion. It's all emotion now. Yeah. And dude, it can draw you in so good. And that, that's all you need, man. It doesn't matter what style you do. You, you, you can work emotion into it and a story that leads to that emotion or works off of that emotion. It's all you need. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you sprinkle around it. You can do 18 million flips that ha- have emotion somehow. Cool. Send somebody through a barbed wire cage or whatever. Cool have a technical wrestling match with emotion. Cool. I don't care what you do as long as you can hook my emotion somewhere. Yeah. Just give the people a story to grab a hold of. Uh, We're going to have to wrap this thing up here soon, but I got a couple of more things that I want to get out of you before we go. Uh, Number one, like I said, uh, we were talking, it's been eight or 10 years since I've seen you. Obviously you're trimming up. What's up, brother? What are you doing? (laughs) Diet workout plan. What, what's, what's up? Um, so yeah, man, I, I got real big. I my highest I ever got was 320 pounds. That was me right after my, my shoulder surgery. I had to have my labrum repaired, my bicep replaced, try to spike on a DDT on the apron, like an idiot. Um, (laughs) but, uh, so I, I got really depressed while I was hurt for that. So I got up to 320. Um, and then I, it was a constant battle after that, just to like try to lose weight. Um, I got down to 255 one time uh, in that period. So that was 2015. So this is the past six years. So I got down to 255 one time during that period, but that was taking, you know, weight loss drugs and it's basically illegal meth. Yeah. And, and then like at the minute I stopped taking it, I started gaining it all back. Um, so then I just became content with as long as I stay under 300, I'm okay. Right. Cause that, that was the part that like really got me depressed was when I hit over 300. So I started getting okay with that. And I would hang around between 275 and 295. And man, like, I don't know if it was, was getting engaged. Uh, I don't know what it was, man. But like, I finally thought I quit trying to lose weight for wrestling. Yeah. And I wanted to get healthy for, for my life and my fiance's soon to be wife's life. And I just wanted to change up. Um, so I just started cleaning up my diet. Um, it was purely diet first. Cause that's the hardest. Yeah, I mean, it's the one I still battle with from time to time. Definitely. Um, so I didn't, I didn't go, I didn't do keto. Um, cause I'd always, I'd done keto before. And while I would lose weight, I would get high cholesterol. And that, that scares me because I have a history of heart problems. Not me personally, but my family has history of heart problems. Yeah. Um, but I did go low carb. I did cut the majority of wheat, grain, anything out of my diet. But I also reduced fat. Uh, so, and I just do my fitness pal, man. And I, I just log everything usually. 
and it's it's nothing it's nothing too special. It's you know I I don't eat a lot of red meat anymore, um, and I don't eat a lot of pork anymore. I do try to do red meat more than pork. Most other things, chicken, fish. That's pretty much all left. Um, yeah. and eggs and eggs and uh, you know, and it depends. I'll just depend things how I feel too. Like uh, some some days I'll do egg whites, and some days you just need a yolk. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some day, some days you're just like I I need something, and you'll pop a yolk in there, and you're all good usually. Um, the the only thing I do try to stick to regarding diet wise is I try to intermittent fast a bare minimum of 12 hours a day, but I like to get over 16. Yeah. Um, don't always do that. Sometimes, sometimes you just want breakfast, but I've never been a big breakfast guy, so it's not that hard. Um, and I'm set my fast up where I sleep through most of it. Right. Um, as far as exercise goes, man, uh, I was doing DDP yoga for a long time. Uh, well, I say a long time when I started this, uh, and I'm still pretty much sticking with that. Um, I get down to space. We'll never hear this. I hope, but I get bored with it sometimes. Just want to switch <laughs> it up. But like I used to power lift, right? And I've never found that the love. But after I tore my shoulder, like I can't hold a squat bar. You know, putting too much weight up. I I just don't want to do it anymore. My joints are so bad, and this is all gimmicked up. Um, so I do a lot of body weight stuff. I really enjoy body weight stuff. Um, when it's nice outside, I, I've found I really like working out outside. So, you know, I'll bring dumbbells out there and work out, or I've got a, you ever worked out with a mace bell? Basically no. like a small bowling ball on the end of a stick. Oh no, I've never done that. Yeah. I've got, I've got one of those and like, I don't know, it's just kind of fun to do. And I live out in the country. So like go outside with my shirt off and my shorts rolled up to try to get a little bit of a natural tan and, <laughs> and swing that around. I, I looked cool in my mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> the, the neighboring horses are probably looking at me like I'm a crazy person. For, for me, I've got sunshades on, earphones in, just jamming out some 80s rock. It's like, I look really cool right now, you know? <laughs> but it gives, gives me good workout, you know? And some days all I do is like walk. It just depends on how I feel. Like I'm battling a knee injury right now. So I'm like really kind of nothing bad, but just, you know, you know where you jar something in your knee and then for the next couple of months, you're just like, something's not right. Yeah. There's just like that little sting in every now and then or something. Yeah. Little shot. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really having a baby what I do there. Um, but yeah, no, I just, I keep it really simple, man. It's calories in calories out, but also, you know, stay away from the bread because bread's a bunch of empty calories. Yeah, that's, that's good, man. That's, that's we, you know, I I'm the same way I used to, I was never like a rip up guy, but there was a time where I was, I was pretty solid, but you know, the married life, a lot of times, you know, that can, that can do a number on you, but, uh, you know, we've recently set up a little gym in the house and, uh, with a few little things for equipment, you know, and, and that's what we're doing. Uh, because I, I kind of come to the place I always wanted to be in shape for wrestling and okay. It's got to fit my character. It's got to be this and that. And, and I'm now I'm at the point where you are that I'm like, I just want to be healthy for my wife and kids and, and my future, you know? So, uh, so yeah, man, it, like I said, it's very noticeable. Uh, keep up the good work. Uh, look like you're doing good there. Now, where can people catch you? <laughs> um, you know, pizza place every now and then. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I assume what you're referring to is, uh, I, I've, I've been doing some tapings for the national wrestling Alliance here recently, uh, on the fight TV app. Yep. Um, 
I've, I've been a couple times on NWA Power, and I was on the debut episode of their new show, Power Surge. Uh, but yeah, they, they used to be on on YouTube, Billy Corgan's at the National Wrestling Alliance. Um, obviously, COVID hit everybody, and it really hit live production hard. Um, but now with things opening back up, the NWA is back. Uh, this time it is on Fight TV, who actually just got bought by Trilla or, or something like that, like a fight for me. That's wild. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's every Tuesday at a... At what time? 6.05 Eastern. There you That's go. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Remember Eastern because I didn't the first time I tried to watch it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, 6.05 Eastern, uh, Fight TV. Uh, you do have to subscribe for it. It's a nominal fee. It's uh, $4.99, I believe, for the month. So, and you get the entire back catalog. But yeah, man, it, it's really fun. Um, you know, we've been having this kind of old school conversation and that's what the NWA is to me. It's like the wrestling I grew I grew up watching studio wrestling. Like the first wrestling I watched religiously was Memphis wrestling every day on Saturdays. Yeah. I grew up on studio wrestling. It's studio wrestling. And I, I love it. I'm having a good time. I'm learning a lot from the people they have in that locker room. Um, I, I don't want anyone listening to this to think there's something on paper. Cause there's not, <laughs> I'm literally a guest anytime I'm there, but uh, I love it there. And I hope that changes. <laughs> That's very good, man. So everybody, uh, be sure to tune in to NWA and and uh, follow Plunky on what, what's your social social media. You you can thank Tony Lacasio for the name on all my social media. Uh, it's at Plunkitis. I'm going to spell it <laughs> P L U N K I T I S. Tony called me that for years, and I, when I first got on Twitter, I'm like, this would be a funny name, and now I have to spell it every time I tell somebody. <laughs> All right, man. Well, it's been a joy catching up with you. Hopefully, Brother, it has. Hopefully, we'll see each other very soon, man. Yes, sir. Absolutely. All right. Well, you have a good night, and God bless you. You too. Bye, guys. Thank you. For all Wrestling for the Faith updates, follow Casey on Facebook and on Twitter at Real Casey Cage. Thank you for listening to another episode of Wrestling for the Faith with Casey Cage. 